Like I said, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to start in uh, Romans chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verse 33 through 36. And really today we're wrapping up our series, Together We Believe. And today we're looking at glory to God alone. That over the past five weeks, we've, we've looked at five core beliefs that set the reformers apart, that set us apart as evangelical Christians from the teachings and beliefs of the Catholic Church. And these five solas from, from their Latin phrases or slogans are, are really those that emerged out of the Protestant Reformation. And so these five solas were not and, and are not required in any specific order, but the reformers really set these in, in place as the pillars of the believer's core beliefs. And, and so we've gone over the last several weeks, we've gone through some of these. That The, the first we went through was sola gratia, which is grace alone, that it's without works. There, there are no human works by which we are saved. It's God reaching out to us that where, where we chose isolation and, and, and rebellion, God chose to pursue us through Jesus. And then we looked at sola fida, which is faith alone, our response to God, our belief in God. And then we looked at sola Christus, which is Christ alone, that he is our perfect mediator, and there is no one other than Christ that then saves us, that it's his works that save us. So it's not our works, it's Christ's works on the cross and through his resurrection that we're saved. And then we looked last weekend at sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. That, that really for the believer, we're not to be submitted uh, above the word, beside the word, before the word, but as believers of the living God, we're to be submitted under the word. And that posture is really intentional. And so now today, what we're looking at is sola deo gloria, which is glory to God alone, that it's only him who has done all of this. And so sola deo gloria is last, but it's certainly not least. And as I put this series together, I intentionally wanted us to end on this statement because all the other solas point to this final one. That really, as we looked at God's grace, God's grace is to God's glory. Our faith, our belief in him is to God's glory. That Christ's work on the cross through his resurrection is to God's glory. That God's word is to God's glory. And so God, God's glory alone is the ending topic of this series, but really it's also the conclusion and ending topic for the reformers. And so for us, this is important because what I've wanted to just nail home for us throughout this whole series is that this series was not about elevating the reformers themselves. It wasn't about looking at how great Luther was, how great Calvin was, all these other reformers who took place in this But this series has been about looking at the truths from Scripture and the character of God that they so held firmly to. That it was was all about the glory to God, not the reformers, not to the church, but that the church would be submitted to God, that he would get the glory, he would get the praise. And so what what we're going to unpack this morning is that we're that we are to give glory to God alone, that in everything we would praise him and seek him above all others. And so we're going to read in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. 
Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So this is where I, I want us to begin, but this is, this is not uh, the text will so much really exegete as we talked about how we do that last weekend, but really this is, is our, our launching point that really drives us to looking at the glory of God. And so our, our first point that we're looking at is that we are to give glory to God alone. That God created us for his glory, but let me just remind you that God did not create us because he was bored or lonely. There was no emptiness in the triune God. Father, Son, and, and Spirit were not looking at each other and going, man, we're, we're missing something. The, the, the triune God was perfect and, and complete. And so if you go to Genesis 1 at the beginning of the Bible, it does not read, and God was lonely and felt empty, empty so he made humans. Okay, that, That's not how that reads. The reality is, is that God created us to display his glory in the way we live, to win praise for himself. So in fact, the first four words of Genesis 1-1 sum up why we are to give glory to God alone. That it says, in the beginning, God. Before anything else, there is no other one before God. There is no one else like God. There is no one else by which we are saved. And there is no one else who has sent his son to reconcile us as adopted sons and daughters. And so what God desires from us is to give glory to him alone. So so no one else deserves the glory. No one else deserves the praise for what God has done. And and here, there is probably no other text in the Bible that reveals that the passion of God for his own glory more clearly and, and bluntly and almost painfully from a human level than Isaiah 48 and verse 9 through 11. Let me read this to you. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So these, these, six, these words really come like six hammer blows to a man-centered way of, of looking at the world and looking at God. That, that God says, for my name's sake, no others, but he says, for my name's sake, for the sake of my praise, for my own sake, for my own sake, he repeats himself, for my self, my glory. And, and so really for us, what this text hammers home to us is the centrality of God in everything. So what the reformers called sola dio gloria. And this really means that everything is done for God's glory. So this is really to God's glory, to the exclusion of man's self-glorification and pride. And so really what you had in the reformers era was that really 500 years ago, if we go back to this, it was about the church. It was about the church and the ministers in it 
and they were taking all of the attention and all of the praise rather than giving it to God. It was all about how great the Pope was, how great the ministers were. And this is actually a threat that is still an issue today. That really, if you go to certain churches, you will see that is the church of this pastor. That is, that is the person elevated to a hierarchy. So let me just remind you, I'm not for that, okay? So for example, if I'm not here on a weekend, I don't tell you because the church should still gather, Okay? So if, if I'm not here, you better be, because it, it's not about me. And, and so what you kind of had was this attitude where, where these pastors and preachers and, and the Pope were just saying, man, we're, we're elevated. The glory does go to us, and we'll give a little bit to God. And, and so, like I said, this is even an issue today. That for the church, for any group or, or team or individual, it's so easy to glory in ourselves. In fact, we, we do this um, often every Sunday, and, and sometimes we do, this, we, we do this wrongly by approaching something that we can enjoy by giving glory to it. That, that after church, well, I'm not talking about our time of worship, but think about this, football for a second, okay? I'm hitting it where it hurts, gentlemen. <laughs> that we gather in our stadiums, we watch our teams, we root for our win, and we glory in our victory. And, and let me tell you, football's not wrong. I love a good football game. There's just a lot of opportunity to glory in the wrong way and glory for the wrong reasons. And so even in the midst of this, we, we see a great response. I don't know if you watched the, uh, the Super Bowl win of the Seahawks back in 2014, but when Fox, was, when Fox Sports was interviewing Russell Wilson, they said, Russell, you did it. You did it. Everything you guys went through together as a unit, how satisfying is this to you? See, this is following the biggest game of his life. He has a great opportunity. Man, I could just glory in myself. And Russell Wilson's response to this was, it's a true, true blessing. God is so good. So do you see what he did there? He shifted the glory to the Father. So did, did Russell play really well? Yeah, he did. What Was Russell an excellent team leader? Yeah, he really was. Does his response mean anything here? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because God created us to display his glory in the way we live to win praise for himself. And so here, what we learn from Russell is he was satisfied in the praise of the Father. It's a true blessing. God is so good. See, Paul told this also to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do everything to the glory of God. So let me tell you, my, my hope this morning is that if I can help you understand one thing today, it's that everything really means everything. So my prayer is that you will begin to see everything as a way to glorify God. And, and, if, and if not, then, then, then I really pray that it clarifies what is not glorifying to God in your life. Because as children of God, we have a great opportunity to display the character and the love of God. The character and the love of God. And so if God created us <coughs> to display his glory in the way we live, then that means our lives should be about pointing everything we do and everything we are to him. So let me ask you this. What captures and satisfies your heart 
and your soul and your mind and your body. See, if, if it's you, if it's what you're pursuing, if it's others around you, whatever created things, then, then really what tends to happen is there's this desire to just further yourself or better yourself in a, in a self-gratifying way. And, and so it becomes, your, your life really becomes about statements like, what would make me feel better? How do I feel about this? What satisfies me? Because the reality is what satisfies you is not always under the glory of God. And so if for you, you're seeing everything as an opportunity to glorify God, then that's what guides you into everything. And so you're really seeing clearly, and this is really where we get dangerously into complacent idolatry, where you may feel good in the pursuit of self, but the arrival is absolutely empty because self-satisfaction is the pursuit but the thing you are pursuing will not satisfy. But if for you, what you are pursuing and everything is God, then you will begin, I promise you, to have a longing to bring him the glory he is due. Forgiving, him, forgiving you Jesus' heart in you for the soul reconciliation that you didn't deserve, for the mind that you could then comprehend his word, and for the breath that he gives you moment by moment that sustains your bodily life. I mean, think about that, how often we, we get into routine, we get away from understanding how much everything can be under the glory of God, how we can give him praise for these things. I mean, think about that. When you got up this morning, that's under the glory of God. The breath we take, that, that's one more breath that God gives us that is under the glory of God. So the believer that is captured and satisfied by the glory of God sees everything as the work of God. And really what theologians, and especially the reformers, they would call this common grace. This is not something God has to do, and it's not just something that God extends to believers, but also non-believers can experience this. But let me remind you that the content may look the same in the non-believer and in the believer, but the response is different. So think about this. Think about your Sabbath, your day of rest, which some of you I know don't even know what that is and you don't take that. But really for the unbeliever, they look at the Sabbath as I need it, I want it. Give me my break. Don't bug me, don't talk to me. I want this. And for the believer, it's a desire of how can I disconnect from all the things that come second to connect with my God. So the response is different. This is also different with food. I mean, think about it. Think about someone going and getting a wonderful steak and they grab the steak and they prepare it and they've, they've made sure, you can tell I don't really know steak because I'm trying so hard to describe steak. But even when you experience the, the good flavors of food, for the non-believer, their approach is, I worked hard for that. I grilled that. I paid for that, under the glory of me. For, for the believer, they can look at that and go, thank you, God, for that provision. Thank you for that gift. That food is so good. Thank you for giving us a new covenant where we have bacon, right? <laughs> so we do this with all things. There, there's a difference between the response of the unbeliever and the response of the believer. We, we do this with money. 
or we should do this with money, with our paycheck, that the unbeliever looks at it with the intent of what can I get with this? What can I get out of this? I'm going to cover all the things I need to cover, but what can I get out of this? What's the new toy? What's the new thing? What's the latest and greatest that I can get for me? But, but really for the believer, it's a different response where he says, how can I give back to you? Give you control in this. This is why we tithe. Saying, okay, God, you, you have absolute authority over my finances. That, that I'm gonna give to the work of the church first. That, that, that we would care deeply for those needs. So then, then God, you, you dictate where my money goes for your glory. That's a different response. I mean, even, even sex is a different response. And I know a lot of you are like, oh my gosh, he's gonna talk about sex. But really, if you think about this, the unbeliever, this is all about self-satisfaction. What can I get out of this? One night stands are all built around an empty self-satisfaction. Whereas for the believer, the, the husband who goes and lays with his wife, it is, God is honored in that union where, where that, that husband then goes and says, thank you God for this bride that you've given me and this intimacy that you've given us together. So these are all things that are different in response for the unbeliever and the believer. And so let me give you an example. Um, A few, or about a month ago, um, my wife and son uh, headed out to uh, Idaho to visit family. And um, while they were away and um, one of her sisters went with her, that meant uh, Jeremiah and I were bachelors, glory to God, Um, for a week. That's all we could handle, a week. But in that time, we planned to get together. And Jeremiah brought out the best steaks. He brought out the best bacon that I had never experienced before. That was incredible. And he brought out the best beverage, and I brought the best cigars. And we planned a man night, and this was awesome for us. And, And in the middle of that, as we prayed for our food, I was just overcome with the opportunity of, God, you're so good that you've given us wonderful women in our life, that they're spending time safely with family, that that what's set before us is this incredible meal, that even you've provided for us financially that we can can buy these things and share in these things together. And and then as we finished our meals and and we went out to enjoy um, our cigars, we sat together and, and talked about what God's done in our life. Where we, where we were and going, can you imagine that we would have sat here as brothers and, and here's all the things God has done. So really, let me remind you that there's, there's a difference between these things for the believer than there is for the non-believer. That for the believer, it's God, thank you to your glory. May this honor you. And if it doesn't, then we don't do it. Okay, so let me remind you that, that, that if we look at alcohol, there's a difference between alcohol and drunkenness. Scripture is very clear. Scripture doesn't say don't drink alcohol. It says don't be drunk. And, and so this is just one example I could give you, but really what, what this means is that when God is over the believer, then it's all about God getting the glory. And that really changes our response. And, and let me tell you an example of that. Because for, for a season, when I was uh, smoking a good cigar ever so often, um, often in my prayer, what I would bring up is, God, is this something that, that brings you glory? Or is this something you want me to cut out? And for nine months, with no explanation, I cut that out. Not knowing why, but really clearly hearing from God, I want you to cut that out. I want you to cut that out of your, your time, and I want you to cut that out of your, your resources 
And I did for nine months because here's the reality. When, when God is over the believer, it's about God getting the glory. And so really that positioned me in a place of, of no longer saying, this is just what I'm doing under the glory of God, but really saying, God, does that bring you glory? Because if not, I won't pursue that. So then everything I step into was an opportunity of saying, is this unto your glory? And, and let me remind you that we don't earn anything by this approach. We don't earn anything with God. And, and really what we receive through this is an inward change. And so bringing glory to God is not about God changing his stance towards us. It's, us, it's about us changing our stance towards God. And Paul even reminds us of this with two important questions he asks in verse 34 and 35 of Romans 11 that we read. That really he's quoting Old Testament writers. And in verse 34, he is quoting Isaiah 40, verse 13, saying, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And in verse 25, he's quoting Job 41, 11, saying, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? See, here Paul is quoting these Old Testament authors to make the point that we need to remain dependent on the Creator. That in everything, we should praise Him. That there is no way for us to pay back or, or earn a right standing or favor with God. So bringing Him glory in our lives is not about proper standing for the believer. It's about a specific posture of praise. So it should be very clear that glorifying God is not merely an act of worship on a Sunday morning. Bringing glory to God is not just about what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's a different kind of living. It's a different kind of living than the culture, and it's even a different kind of living than, than a cozy little Christian. That it's where we're approaching things like sex and money and food and Sabbath with a posture of praise saying, thank you, God. You are good, God. Do your will here. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about Jesus in the garden asking the Father, if it is your will, would you have this cup pass from me? But, but what's God's will? For Jesus to go to the cross for his glory, for our salvation, but for his glory. And so there may be things for us that we're kind of dabbling in, that we're putting in place of God, not bringing him glory. So really for us, all the glory is due to God alone. We would worship him and seek him above all others. See, in verse 36, Paul shows us how God is above all others. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, when others look at us, it should be obvious that God is above all others in our life. But I really would ask us, is this true? Do others see that we glorify God? Do we bring him praise? And is he above all others in our lives? See, I think this is a great challenge for, for us as believers living in this day and age because today people are intoxicated with self. They want to just better themselves. It's all about self-improvement, self-actualization. And I'm all for getting better. I'm all, I'm all for improvement in areas. 
but really for, for why, for who? What's the motivation there? Because even churches are getting into this game that, that it's becoming really dangerous, where we actually have our own category of gospel that some would deem under prosperity, that it really tells others that other things are more valuable than God. That if you really love God, then get more stuff. And so we get more focused on what we get from God than what we give to God. So what do, what do I get? How do I, God, thank you, glory to you for making me, but now what can I do with me? So if you want to know if God is above all others in your life, then, then ask yourself this question. What captures and satisfies your heart and your soul and your mind and your body? See, this question is about what you love. This question is about what you worship. And this question is the one that points to our approach. See, because I think there's a lot of things we step into we don't even know are an opportunity to bring glory to God. And Martin Luther, one of those key reformers, said, a dairymaid can milk cows to the glory of God. I don't think we understand how much of an opportunity we have that in everything we do and everything we are, we need to seek God above all others. So what this means is that we position ourselves before God laying down our affections and our hope and our focus to where our satisfaction is being moved from the things of this world to the creator of this world. And so even Jesus quotes the Old Testament in Matthew 22, verse 27, and gives us this great commandment. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Because really, church, if we love God with everything we are, then all the other things we love should fall secondary into the submission of God. That his love guides us to love the way we actually were created to love. And so really, under the submission of God to the glory of God, it's putting things in proper order. That the believer is then surrendered in everything to God where we worship him, we love him, and above all others, we're bringing glory to him, to the one true God. And so this is where we become surrendered and satisfied in God. In, in a book called Desiring God by author John Piper, one of the things he says that I thought was so appropriate for this morning that I wanted to share with you is, in that book, when he talks about the believer desiring greatly for God, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So let me ask you this as we come to a close this morning. Does your life show that you are satisfied in God and that you glorify him in everything? That you glorify him in absolutely everything. Let's pray.